This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good Wednesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Jamie Jennings in Phoenix, Arizona. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for November 8th, episode 1814, brought to you today by Horselovers.com. Good morning, Horse World. Guess what day it is? Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. That's right, it's hump day with your horses in the morning hosts, Jamie That Girl Jennings and Glenn the Geeky Pony Guy. Wednesday, Oh my gosh, Glenn, what an amazing weekend it has been. And I would like to point out that the economy is back. People are spending money again. Well, rich people are. <laughs> I'm sure anybody can spend money at a horse auction at Keeneland or Fazek Tipton because I'm sure they were everybody was there this weekend because, dude, have you heard of some of these prices that went on? I heard of one, one particular okay. one. Songbird, who ran this week, uh, this past weekend in the Breeders' Cup, Songbird sold for $9.5 million at Fezzik Tipton. That's that's almost $10 million. That's like a $10 million horse right there. $10 million. Because you have to pay taxes on them if they're breeding horses in Kentucky. Did you know that? I did. Um Songbird's final price ranks second of all time. And it only behind the $10 million that Mandy Pope paid for Haver de Grace. And guess who bought Songbird? Mandy Pope. What did we determine her money came from? Remember, we had this conversation not too long ago. Do you remember? I don't know. Google it, Jimmy. <laughs> Mandy Pope. Mandy Pope, get, rich Mandy person. Pope how did she get her money? <laughs> Google can't that. Remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it'll come right up. <laughs> I it remember, actually does come up. So. Yeah. <laughs> Let, do you want to hear the end of the auction? Yes. Okay. Uh, and she's dancing around. $500,000 goes out of your bank account that easy. Good God. <laughs> she said it, it exceeded her budget a little bit, but she had to have her. <laughs> sure you do. Yeah. Um, and oh. then I found some history on her, but nothing about how she made her money. Okay. Keep looking. Keep you can looking. find it. Come on. Keep you're the producer. <laughs> this is a test. Uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> Just write, how did Mandy Pope get her money? And, yeah. and it'll come up, I'm sure. Um, and then, By the way, when I go a little over budget, it's because I bought dessert. 
at the restaurant. <laughs> Mine is I bought another beer. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, how it's like you get your receipt from like going out to dinner. And you're like, how did that happen? How did it get to be that? I don't know. But when you're eating, you're like, bring it, bring it all to me. Yes, yes I would like it all. It all. And it um, was so- $75 instead of 60 and you're upset. Here, she just dropped an extra. She's probably planning on $8 million and did an extra million and a half. God, I mean, poor thing. She just went just a little over. Now, after Songbird sold to Mandy Pope for $9.5 million, Teppin went on to sell to Coolmore for $8 million. So Teppin then sells for... Okay, who's selling these horses and who's getting the commission? Because that's what I want to know. Because Fazic Tipton gets money, the commission person gets money, the person selling them gets money. It's There's money going everywhere. Now, also... Catherine Sophia at Keeneland, who won the Kentucky Oaks last year, was purchased by Bridalwood Farm for $2.3 million. And then Bridalwood Farm purchased Street Fancy for $1.5 million. And then Life Well Lived, a daughter of Tisnow, in full to American Pharaoh, sold to Bobby Flay for $1.25 million. The economy's back, people. Bobby sells a lot of cookbooks, doesn't he? He sells a lot of cookbooks. I have some answers, guys. All right. What? What? Okay. By the way, do you know she has some some roots in Ocala there, Glenn? Oh, really? I'm just saying. Yeah. But okay, it says here. <laughs> go go knock and bring over. A Head over for low. dinner. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna buy you a new po- a, another pony. <laughs> All right. It says here, uh, Pope co-owns a family-grown business with her brother Art, North Carolina-based variety wholesalers, which operates discount retail stores in the South. So today she owns more than 100 horses, from youngsters, horses of racing age, and brood mares to a group of 15 to 20 retirees. There you go. Yeah, this will be one of them. <laughs> one of the you know how we say the most expensive part of buying a horse is 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 not buying the horse. In this yeah. case, that's not true. <laughs> this is not true for Mandy Pope. So at Keeneland, by the way, a Stellar Wind also was sold. Who is going? Stellar Wind, who ran in the Breeders' Cup this past weekend, will be retired and bred to Triple Crown winner American Pharaoh, and she sold for six million to Coolmore. So the, uh, just at Keeneland only, because they're I I subscribe to their emails and I get this. They sold ninety six horses, ninety six horses for a total of forty two million dollars. <laughs> Is it a 10% to auctioneer commission like it is everywhere else? I'm sure. I'm sure. The top buyers were MV Magnier, SF Bloodstock, Shaddai Farm, and Bridalwood. And then Taylor Maid was the top consigner with Lane's End coming in second. Adina Springs was fourth. The top Horses sold Stellar Wind for six million, Catherine Sophia for two point three million, Oscar Party for one point nine, and Tammy the Torpedo sold for one point six. Okay, that kind of sounds like a stripper name or a porn name or something. Tammy the Torpedo. I must learn more about Tammy the Torpedo right now. (laughs) Jemmy, what's coming up at today's show? Oh. Did we lose Jimmy? Did we lose her? Jimmy, are you there? No, I just ran to take myself off mute. Okay. <laughs> you you <laughs> and Jennifer both. Myself. Sorry. <laughs> Lord have mercy. All right, here we go. On today's show, we start off with Grant Hater-Menzies, the author of the book about the founder of The Brook, Dorothy Brooke and the fight to save Cairo's lost war horses. 
Auditor Tara tells us about her stinking cute new pony. I mean, I saw the picture. Oh, my gosh. So cute. Caroline from Heels Down Magazine joins us with some interesting articles. And we continue with the opium equation as Jamie brings us the second half of Chapter 11. It's a packed show, as always, today, guys. And speaking of today, today is National Parents as Teachers Day. So go out and teach your human or horse kids something extra special and fun today. You've been saying Jamie has to actually parent her child today. No. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ruin her day like that. You need to put that out in the universe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is one of these. Well, my happy birthday goes out to Auditor Katie Moulton. It's her birthday today. Happy birthday to Katie. I also wanted to thank a couple of new auditors for joining up. We had Christine, we had Cheryl, Elizabeth, and Rita joined up over the last week. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, We really appreciate you coming on board. Also, Jill and Aaron. There were a lot over the last week. So thank you all for joining uh, the auditor group. We really appreciate it. Your turn. My Daily Winnie goes out to host of Horsemanship Radio, Debbie Laux. And I'll tell you why. I, I, I'm getting myself... I'm actually feeling every bit of 40 right now because I am training two horses for people in the neighborhood. And they are kicking my you-know-what. Oh my gosh, I'm getting crushed. So the first horse is a the, the horse that we bought and she's just she's just a lot of horse. So I'm riding her. And the second horse is a horse that um well he just he, he needs to get back into shape and he needs a lot of fitness. And he's the kind of horse that just when you ask him to do something, he just stops locks up his legs and won't move. And it is the most frustrating thing in my world of no whips and things like that. You, you, it needs to be come from the altar and you need to have all these different things. And so yesterday we took him to the aqua tread and the aqua tread is what you guys know. I had Zeus in for the entire summer. Right. And so all summer he was going in this little, little machine and the treadmill starts and then it fills up with water. Well, Zion, bless his heart, had to go to the aqua tread yesterday. And I get I wasn't there, but I guess it took a while to get him in. And when he got in, they turned on the treadmill part and he wouldn't move. And so <laughs> he's just gonna stand there. Stood there. And they and he couldn't get him to move. Fall flat, he, flat on his face. <laughs> it was pushing the treadmill was moving and he wouldn't walk. And so he broke the back end of the chain twice before they got him out and called me. Oh, wow. And I get there, and then he wouldn't go in. So then uh, the whole thing ended up being how to get him in. And then I get him in, and I got him to take, like, two steps forward. And then he wouldn't move. And then it was a total disaster. So they basically kicked him out of the treadmill. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. We don't have time for this crap. Yeah, we're done. So I then called Debbie (laughs) because I'm like, Debbie, I need help. I don't know what to do. Can you call your dad? <laughs> <laughs> Debbie Blesserard is like probably at lunch. 
She's like, oh, God, here's this girl calling again, annoying, annoying student, calls Monty. And, of course, like Monty comes up with all these, you know, kind of different ideas to try. But basically, it's just going to take work and trust and building trust. And so we're going to do some join ups with them and we're going to do some lake and stream and some tarpware and just do all this stuff that just is going to help build trust. And then we're going to take him back again. And I wanted to thank Debbie for calling her dad and saving me because then I was able to call the owners and be like, Oh, okay. Monty and I have a plan for your horse. Like totally. That's so cool that I can say that, <laughs> but I sound cool. Anyway, I haven't got the horse walking on the treadmill yet. So wish me luck, but thank you, Debbie, for um, saving the day. Well, good job, Debbie. Well, I wanted to, to uh, also so mention, here, Debbie, by the way, on horsemanship radio and um, she, the show is great. So please go listen to it. It's on the app. Check yep. it out if you haven't. Definitely check it out. Well, we have um, coming up here uh, very shortly, one of our first guests will be with us. Um, so we, I wanted to mention, though, that Jennifer and got a new, she, she, she got a new saddle. So she loves Wintex. You, you all know that she loves her Wintex. And she got a new saddle. And we did an unboxing video yesterday because for some reason, unboxing videos are hugely popular. Oh, my and, gosh. Lucas is watching one right now. I, it's just weird. <laughs> Kids watch them. Adults watch them. I watch them. I don't know why people watch them. It's like you're watching somebody else at Christmas opening their gifts. And well, we, so we did one yesterday. She got a Wintech Light AP Deluxe saddle, which uh, we did the unboxing for. She's had Wintex. Matter of fact, we had one of the first Wintex to come into the United States back in the 1990s when we had our store. We bought one of the first ones, and she started using them then, and has been through several since then. But this thing, Jamie, have you felt the light ones? Oh my god, no. they're seven pounds. You can pick it up with two fingers. It is unbelievably light. Uh, and it has all the same stuff all the other Wintex does, the changeable gullet and all of that. So watch the video. Head on over to our Facebook page at Horses in the Morning, and you'll see the video and, yeah, see, This is what's crap, is that I'm watching her pull her new saddle out, yes. and there's nothing in it for me. I know, but uh, people do it. <laughs> it has almost 2,000 views of her watching her, her pull her new saddle out. And she got to ride in yesterday. She's going to have a complete report for you because she'll have ridden a couple times for, on Friday's show. So she'll let you know how she likes her new saddle. But that uh, it, it definitely is light. I could not believe how light that thing was. It was really, really nice. I love, I loved, I I watched it too. I was fascinated. I don't know why I watched it, but I did. And I like that. She's like, well, I have to have a light saddle because I've got enough weight for both of us. <laughs> it's like, true. <laughs> That's that what she funny. said. That is what she said. All right, let's get to our first guest. But first. Dorothy Brooke and the fight to save Cairo's lost war horses is the inspiring true story of how an Englishwoman devoted her life to the rescue of thousands of elderly former war horses and army mules, equine veterans of the Great War, sold into hard labor in Egypt at the war's end. Mrs. Brooke founded and worked in an animal hospital in a Cairo slum, offering free veterinary care for working equines and education for their owners. It was a venture that survived the Great Depression, revolutions, political intrigue, and the Enormity of the task set before it. The Brook Hospital for Animals spawned Brook, Action for Working Horses and Donkeys, a worldwide charity aiding working equines and their owners. From this community of suffering, wrote Mrs. Brook, I have never tried to withdraw myself. It seemed to me a matter of course that we should take up our share of the burden of pain that lies upon the world. 
her guiding spirit through the ongoing work of Brooke, bears, shares, and helps cool that pain still. <clears throat> and we have the author of the new book, Dorothy Brooke and the Fight to Save Cairo's Lost War Horses. We have Grant Hader Menzies on with us. Good morning, Grant. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. I just got the book yesterday, so I haven't had had a chance to really read it, but what a fascinating woman. Yes, she was indeed. She was very, very much ahead of her time. Tell us why you got interested in doing this book about her. Well, I had just uh, published uh, a biography of Rags, the, uh, the, the former Paris stray who was uh, taken as... Uh, 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 mascot and messenger dog for the first division in France, uh, the American uh, uh, division uh, during World War One, and I wanted to write about another situation dealing with animals in the Great War. Um, uh, fortunately, I guess uh, for the animals, uh, there had been quite a few other uh, uh, books uh, written about various ones that I that I found. And I found uh, this the story of Dorothy Brooke um, and realized that, that no one had yet written a full-length biography of her. Um, I've made sort of a name for myself writing about extraordinary but, but relatively unknown uh, women uh, over the course of my writing career. And I, I thought, well, she'd be perfect. And I saw that there was a huge amount of material on her um, and... Uh, I came to know her family in in England and uh, uh, some of the people who work still at her uh, at her animal hospital in Cairo, and that sort of it sort of took off from there. Um, uh, I also am the son of a, a very keen horsewoman uh, whose birthday would have been today, uh, and so I um, sort of grew up with um, with horses and. Uh, having a mother who loved horses, <laughs> you know, what else was I going to do but write about Dorothy Brooke? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're, we uh, we highlight the Brooke all the time. And, of course, one of our J- – Jamie was just talking about Debbie Laux, who's the daughter of Monty Roberts, who's one of the yeah. Brooke ambassadors. And, yeah. It, yeah, and, and he did the foreword for your book. He wrote a beautiful foreword, yes, indeed. Um, I love – Something I have the book open in front of me now. I love uh, one thing in particular that he uh, that he wrote. He said, "I also feel a kinship with Mrs. Dorothy Brooke, the organization's founder. Mrs. Brooke saw suffering and did not look the other way. She rolled her sleeves up and got to work. That's exactly what she did." Why oh Cairo? How did she end up in Cairo and with the horses in Cairo? Is that where the horses from Britain... Of course, World War I, we all have to think back. Let's remind everybody that World War I was a horse war. It was Mechanized units had just started, but horses were the majority of that war. Were these horses that the British had brought over, were these Cairo horses to begin with? Well, to to start with, she um, had never been to Cairo before, and she stepped off the train in October 1930 with her husband... Uh, Major General Brooke, who was a cavalry officer, um, had been posted to Cairo. And she stepped off the train, and there at Ramsey Station, she saw a line of taxi horses that were too big to be native um, Arabs. 
and that were very old, very, very sick, and that had the brand of the British Army on their uh, rear flanks. And that's when she had confirmation of rumors she had heard for years that war horses and army mules had been left behind, um, basically like surplus material. Um, there was no, uh, there was no organization around getting, uh, getting them back to where they came from. They came from England, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the U S uh, the U S started sending horses over horses and mules over in 1914, four years before any human soldiers, uh, were sent over to the war. And, um, what people have to realize is that there was, there was quite an active theater, um, in uh, the Eastern Mediterranean. It wasn't all in France. As I say in the book, that's the, the region of, of the war that has produced the most poetry, the most um, uh, horror stories and stories of great courage. Um, but these things were happening um, in the Eastern Mediterranean as well. Um, I tell the story in the book of a horse named Cupid who, uh, whose life is told in a book by Martin Laurie called Cupid's War. She's the only horse I've ever found in my research whose life as a war horse through France, the Eastern Mediterranean, and back to Egypt um, was actually uh, uh, recorded and documented by her owner along the way as he was fighting, as they were both fighting in battles. And um, Cupid could well have ended up being left behind. She died before um, she could, before any of that could happen. But as I say, she was one of the lucky ones. The ones that survived and were sold into hard labor were the ones that Dorothy Brooks saw at the train station that, that day in, in Cairo. And, I, um, you know, I can appreciate and, what Monty is saying because he's still, you know, fighting the battle for treating the horses without pain and, you know, and training without pain. Yeah. And she, and it's a daunting task because you got a whole world out there that, that uh, many of them are doing it the other way. So, I can't imagine her getting off the train and saying, I'm going to solve this problem. There were, at that point, millions of horses. It wasn't, you know, yes. it wasn't a, a, a small number. It must have been just a no. daunting task to even think about for her. It was. It was, and she was, the thing is, she was mis, mis, uh, misinformed. She was told that, oh, well, there are a few of them. But, um, but dear, you mustn't mix with the Egyptians. You mustn't have anything to do with them. Just, just you know, let the let these old horses die off, and that'll be the end of it. Well, she wasn't willing to do that. She stepped outside the the um, sort of the boundaries of her class um, uh, to actually go down into the streets and and look for these horses. Um, at the time, she was running her hospital. Uh, in uh, a poor area of Cairo, um, she would uh, she participated in the buying where um, native owners would bring their war horses uh, up and, and sell sell them to her. Um, they were given uh, uh, more than than the, the value of the horse, so that they could go and buy uh, a, a new horse. Or if the horse was put into her hospital for a period of time to recover. They were given enough uh, to subsidize their living while the horse is recovering. But she dealt with all kinds of people. She she made friends among the among the men in the street, helped them get jobs, and she was also attacked 
by some of these men who were, as she pointed out, just as degraded by their poverty as their horses were. Um, she refused to blame the men. She said poverty is a poverty is a terrible thing. It it uh, it leads to ignorance. It leads to uh, cruelty, unintended or intended. Um, it is the thing to focus on uh, to break this this circle of pain. Um, just taking care of the animal is only part of the the issue. Um, she had room in her compassion for the the men as well as for the animals. Okay, and, I have a question. Yeah. How did you? Yes. How does one do the research for something like this? Who can you talk to? Who did you find out all of this information to compile this book? Because this information is amazing and personal. And I just, I need to know. It's amazing. It's awesome. Well, um, it's, it's a matter of kind of piecing. It's like piecing together a mosaic portrait. You've got all the little pieces and you've got to put together as many as you can to actually form a picture um, her grandchildren are living, and they've helped me immensely. I couldn't have done the book without their help. Um, their um, their store of uh, fa- private family photos, uh, letters, and also a compilation of excerpts of Mrs. Brooks' diaries and letters was brought out by um, a wonderful horsewoman and personality, really, named Glenda Spooner, who was a, a great... Um, a supporter of the Brook and who knew Mrs. Brook very well. Uh, that came out, I think, in the 60s, and it's still being reprinted today um, by by Brook in London. Um, combination of that, pouring over um, lots and lots and lots of um, newspaper articles from the 30s, um, uh, and the uh, my friends in in Egypt um, helped me a great deal. Um, uh, so it's 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 really a group effort <laughs> to write wow. one of these. This is my eighth my eighth biography, and um, it really takes takes a lot of people to uh, to pull together a portrait of one life. Um, you know, Jamie uh, yeah. too. She, she, you know, you think that her her biggest challenge was in Egypt, but the the army, the British army, wasn't or the British military was not helpful in a lot of cases either. I know there was one story in there that I did read about General Spinks, who was quite a character that people are going to get to know uh, in the book. Yeah. But she had, she was fighting it from all sides. She was. She, she had to deal with... Um, General Spinks was actually one of, her, one of her great supporters. He was on her buying committee in Cairo, and he sat beside her uh, on many a, a horrific buying... Uh, day, which happened uh, once a week, um, when they had to look at at animals in such a state of despair and and um, injury and age that none of us can possibly imagine. Um, Mrs. Brooke took pictures, had pictures taken of the injuries and that they had been worked with for years. And we're talking animals that had been forced to to care to drag carts and taxis with a broken leg for years that in oh England would have been would have been put down instantly she took had pictures taken that were kind of like forensic crime scene photos she had these put in albums that she rarely showed to anybody because she did as she said I don't want to over to um, harrow the public uh, sentiments <laughs> over over much 
because uh, they they're pretty awful to see today. I I put some of them in the book. Oh yeah, and I I I, I made the mistake in looking look at them at. before the show. By the way, yeah, show, oh. yeah, yeah, and they're they're much much worse, much much worse. Um, and so, but what she dealt with in Cairo, she had people who helped her, and then she had people, some people who tried to undermine her. There's there's a lot of politics in compassionate work. Um, oh there's a God. lot of politics in, um, there's politics in, um, in charitable undertakings. Um, the man that helped her greatly at first, Dr. Alfred Branch, who's a famous um, English born veterinarian in Cairo, friend of the, all the Egyptian princes and the King and, and high officials, um, an expert on, on Arabs. Um, he, uh, for reasons that I spent. Oh. Did we lose him? Jamie, you still there? All right, it looks like we've lost everyone, so we're going to try and get them back here. Uh, welcome to live radio. So we're going to have to uh, call them back. Thank you for calling horses in the morning. You may listen to the show while waiting. All right, so we're going to... noise will indicate when you are on the air with the host. Try and get them back here. She really politics very, very well. She was, she was a superb politician. Um, she knew how far to take it. She knew who to go to when it didn't work somewhere else. Um, she was a master organizer. And inside of all of this really um, structured um, mindset was a, a very, very tender heart. Um, she uh, she saw things that she described that were absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and the cases of certain horses that she wrote about that I feature in the book um, are very difficult to read, but they're, they're inspiring because if she could look at that every day and deal with that every day, I think, you know, right. <laughs> in, we, our, in our relative comfort, in our we, comfort, we, we can, we can help. We can read the book. Right. <laughs> Yes, and exactly. also and help do, the brook, which the is, you know... And, uh, and, and help the brook. Well, and yeah, I wanted I to mean, bring that um, up before we run out of time. You're donating 40% of the royalties on each copy sold to the brook, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. Amazing. And, well, um, yeah, I, I know that, that I do that with some of my other books as well, um, uh, because it, it's the right thing to do. And I hope it encourages others to, to give to the, this worthy very worthy cause, uh, if if for no other reason, in memory of Mrs. Brooke, who was an absolute hero, in in my estimation and that of many many other people. Well, where can people find the book? It's out now, right? Yes, it, it came out. The U.S. edition came out on November first. Um, they can order it through uh, any online bookseller or um, uh, f- uh, from the publisher. They can go into their local bookstore and, and ask for it to be ordered if it's not there already. Um, a UK edition comes out in February um, and uh, uh, they, uh, there will be uh, a, uh, a launch for that at some point down the line. So I'll probably be in London for that. 
Um, and of course, it is and, on Amazon yeah, so too. I just checked there. It's uh, and the name of the book yes, is yes. Dorothy Brooke and the Fight to Save Cairo's War- Lost War Horses by Grant Hader Men- Menzies, and you'll find it there. We're going to put a link to it in our show notes, and also if Jemmy can go ahead and put a link to it on our Facebook page as well. We appreciate you coming on. I can't wait to read this one. You know, a lot of these Thank books you. I send out to to listeners to read before I before I look at them. This one's not going anywhere. So (laughs) I'm hoarding this one. Thank you, Grant. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for telling our story. It needed to be told. Of course. Always a pleasure. All right. Take care. What a fascinating story. What a fascinating woman. You know, we all hear about Brooke and the work they do now, but we forget that there was a Dorothy Brooke who founded the whole thing. I, I, I really honestly didn't know that. So I've learned so much this morning. It's amazing to hear that and to hear where it all came from and to hear how I just was reading about empowering women in Hollywood and how there needs to be more roles for women and that Reese Witherspoon is like taking over and like making roles for women. And she started a production company and she is doing all this stuff for women. And here's a, here's a man who is finding stories about women, amazing women and telling those stories. I just got done watching hidden figures. I'm like, I am. Oh, that was a great movie. Wasn't it? That was a great movie. What a great movie. I second that. It was a great movie. Yeah. It was amazing. And to hear like like Reese Witherspoon, she's like found a bunch of books about women and has made these movies. You know, the one where she was walked the Appalachian Trail. Uh that the Wild? movie she did. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that movie too. She found out about it. She like has determined to make more movies about women and 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 giving centralized roles to women in Hollywood. And how everybody said she was never going to do it and she was going to go broke. And she's winning Oscars with all her movies and taking over the world. And then here to hear this like the next day and just after watching Hidden Figures, I just. All men can go away. We don't need you. Women are the best. <laughs> I just read yesterday, too. You know, we joke about getting <laughs> Kaylee Cuco on the show because she's a horse girl. But she also, we we can't forget, makes a million dollars an episode. So she she's done quite well. She just formed her own production company to do a similar thing, to do uh, show TV shows and movies with more women involved in, in all aspects of it, from directing and on, uh, on through. So oh, it so looks like it's a movement now. Women, yeah. I mean, especially her. Like, with her first season on that show, she was the dumb, ditzy blonde. Yep. You know, and, and that's what... And they've converted her now into a high... You know, that, that her role has changed over the years on that show. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. yeah, it has. So now she's, she it. makes more money than any, any of them doing pharmaceutical sales. So, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> so it, it, it kind of has changed over the years. You're right about yeah. that. I, I wonder if she had a lot to do with that because you, when you are trying to get into that business, I don't know how this evolved from the brook, but just trying to get into any male dominated business, sometimes you have to put up with BS. And then when you become, become that business, then you can make changes. You know, it's it's interesting, you know, now that we're on that topic, and before we get to our next female guest, who, who did a very cool, amazing thing, um, we it's in the podcasting world, and Jimmy can back me up here, women are playing a predominant role from the beginning. Uh, you, you, yeah, it's it's pretty phenomenal. Yep, I mean, and you, you know, it's half and half now, isn't it, Jimmy? Half the podcasts out there are hosted by women. 
Uh, yeah, I'd say it's pretty even. And women are doing some really phenomenal things in the space, too. We're not just, you know, relegated to certain roles. Like, we're we're leading the charge in a lot of ways. So it's really great. Yeah, it is I really I feel cool. like that hashtag Me Too that went around has really changed me. Uh, if you are an auditor, you'll know. <laughs> if you're an auditor, you get to hear all the drama yeah. in the auditor room on Facebook. <laughs> But I feel like it's really made a big difference to me and to think about all the women who come before and and then all these accusations of these people in Hollywood doing all these things to like Gwyneth Paltrow and these amazing actresses that you think are fierce and would never allow anything to happen and to hear what they're going through and the hashtag me too and to get it all out there. I'm just like, I'm all about girl power right now. Jimmy, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> We're taking over. We're now taking that over the world. that's pretty easy to say on a show whose listenership is ninety five percent women. By the way, Girl. Uh, <laughs> that's right. I'm the minority here. All right, well, let's. Eventing Nation just did an article on on trying to bridge the gap between the women that ride. You know, it's like ninety percent women ride the lower levels, and then it's about fifty fifty. We've had that level. conversation before. It's yeah. like, where do these upper level male riders come from? You, it's like you never see them at the lower levels, and all of a sudden they're the top riders at the higher. How did they get there? It, it's just it blows That's my mind. Part, yeah, if you go to Avenging Nation, there's some discussion going on about it, and they just posted an article and asking for people to kind of weigh in. So it'd be interesting to see what they come up with. Well, let's go to another fascinating woman who's out right. of Texas, and I'll let you introduce her. Thank you. Sorry, Dorothy Brooke is still inspiring women today. Um, <laughs> So we met Auditor Tara Tibbetts because we love to do a segment, your new horse segment, and we especially love to do new pony segments. And so Tara has a new pony. Good morning, Tara. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Where, where in the world are you? I am in Azle, Texas, which is outside of Fort Worth. Outside of Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. And you live on a small farm, big farm. What do you do for a living? Um, I work in human resources for a living and I have um, a zoo slash pseudo farm. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Green Acres is the place to be. (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. Glenn's saying over that. Did you just start start with the dog thing? Say that again. Glenn, please never do that again. (laughs) I have... At my house currently, there are 13 dogs. Three of them are going to New York today to go to their new homes because they're foster puppies. Um, I have four horses, a donkey, a pony, eight goats, 60 chickens, and three cats and a cockatiel. Okay. I just wrote down crazy dog lady because you passed that (laughs) threshold. And a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) Ran past crazy dog lady years ago. Yeah. So you said four are leaving. That leaves 10. (laughs) (laughs) Way to go, girl. That's awesome. So um, are you, I hate to ask this. Are you married? I am. Somebody puts up with this. It's awesome. Is he crazy too? Yeah. Yeah, and funnily enough, he never, before we met, I think he'd had a cat. (laughs) So is he a horse person or is he like a disgruntled horse husband like Glenn? He's kind of the most amazing, perfect horse husband because he likes to take care of things and fix stuff. He's a mechanic professionally um, and he likes to take care of the horses. He has no interest in riding one. Keep him. That's perfect. Double. Yes. (laughs) 
That's awesome. So uh, did you ever actually get him a horse and say, I got you a horse, honey, but knowingly it's actually for you? I have um, my quarter horse Jaguar that is 24 and I've had him since he was an embryo. So he's kind of always been the safe, safe animal. And Kevin actually did ride him on one fox hunt and that was the only time he's ever ridden. (laughs) Oh my God. You you took a fox hunt for his first ride. He broke three bones and that was enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It actually went really well and Jaguar behaved much better for him than he ever did for me. Um, But yeah, that was enough. He, you know, he enjoyed it. it like, three check years that ago, box. I think. We're good. Check <laughs> that box. Perfect. That's great. So tell us about this stinking cute little pony. So my, one of my fox hunting friends who plays polo actually um, rescued him about exactly a year ago in October. Um, in Texas, there are, there's two main ones, and I can't think of the name of the other one, but there's two main kill pens is what we call them where owners will just basically dump horses they don't want to mess with getting rid of, and you can get them pretty inexpensively to rescue. And so my friend Rebecca rescued him last October. Awesome. Awesome. So he's a little kilpin rescue. And what is he doing now? What are you going to, what are you going to do with him? Well, my hope is if you, I sent Glenn the post from Coffin last year, and it said a little girl had showed him. And I don't know if that means that she showed him under saddle or if she showed him in hand, but what I'm hoping is that he knows how to drive. How because big is my he? my best friend used to drive 10 hands. Oh, he's little tiny, pony. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I think he's too big to call a miniature pony. I don't know. He's kind of got the fancy like movement of hackney-ish, but he's awfully small to be a hackney. Well, uh, but more importantly, what's his attitude? Is it like a hackney? <laughs> really ever had ponies before he's definitely sassy and the reason my friend gave him to me is she said he needs more attention and i think what she means is when he's in a pasture you can't catch him (laughs) and so he needs in his training (laughs) yeah that yeah so he's hanging out with the goats right now and we're gonna work on you know people are okay you're not gonna get hurt we're just oh. going to love on you and go from there. Yeah, listen Glasses. to yesterday's show. Mary talked about how to catch uh, horses in the field that don't want to be caught. She she went through how she, yes. she works with that. So definitely listen to that. You're going to need that. He yes. is thinking cute. He does have a little bit of hackney look. He's probably half Shetland, half hackney somewhere in there. But he has four white legs. I mean, all the way up white legs. Yeah. And then he's got that white diamond shape on his shoulder. It's really cute. And an amazing wild black mane and tail. So this is your first pony? Technically, I had a pony when I was really little. My brother and I had Bert and Ernie, but dad (laughs) tired of them almost instantly, and I think he sold them after the second time we rode them. (laughs) That's what dads do. (laughs) See, let me just take it all back. The girl has a farm with 4,000 animals, and it's because her daddy sold her pony. That's right. So she's still pissed at her dad. horses my parents raised quarter horses and so i think dad just he didn't want to mess with something that he couldn't ride and so and my dad owned an auction yard in my hometown in montana and so needless to say i didn't have my horses much longer than a year 
Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, what a jerk! I'm <laughs> mad at him already. Soldier pony. What was he thinking? Okay, so before we let you right? go, I've just got to know you are a whip for a whipping for the Brazos Valley Hounds. What the hell is a whip? Yes. So all hunts, and keep in mind, I've only done this with Texas hunts, and so I know we do things slightly different than the the, the more traditional, I guess I should say, hunts. So the whipper in in our hunt. Most of the properties that we hunt on, we really only have permission to be on that property. And so we have anywhere from four to six whips at every hunt. And we ride the perimeter of the property to make sure our hounds don't go onto the neighbor's property. Oh, oh so you kind of are you're like a little funnel to keep the dog. Kind of. Yeah. Between. Jamie. There's, I mean, hounds. There's usually one hounds, Jamie. whips that are like with. Yes, hounds. Hounds. Sorry. There's a couple of whips with the huntsmen that are, you know, helping work the hounds and kind of keep them. But I usually am riding on the perimeter of the property. So, like this past weekend, we did have one hound leave the property and we couldn't find him for four or five hours. Do you carry a lasso? How do you do that? I mean, yeah. Uh... <laughs> Just a whip. It's a hunt whip. <laughs> I mean, how do you get them back when they decide right? to take off after something by themselves, which happens quite often, actually, at hunts? Yes. It's. Thankfully, a lot of our properties are pretty well fenced, and so you just kind of have to be in the right place at the right time. And there, our hounds are pretty well trained to, they, they're listening for the huntsman's horn, and they're paying attention to her. It's just occasionally, like one of the ones that took off this past weekend is a young hound, so he, he doesn't quite know what he's doing yet. Well, what are you guys, now you're hunting down there, is it popular in Texas? It's no. Okay. No. There's one, <laughs> there's one hunt near Fort Worth, the one that I hunt in. There's another hunt near Dallas called Cloudline. There are two, I think, around Houston. Most people just don't know it exists. And so usually when I meet people that ride like I do and they find out there's a hunt, they're ecstatic and they can't get there fast enough. Cool. Yeah, it's like a word of mouth thing. So what do you guys hunt for and because I feel like if there was a hunt in Arizona, we would hunt coyote. Yeah, we hunt coyote. And Do you? the occasional feral hog. A feral hog? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Those, yeah. Those hounds have to be yeah. trained. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes the, the hogs are in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but if we have a bad feral hog problem in Texas. So most landowners, if if they find out that the hounds will remove some hogs for them, they're pretty excited for us to come. It's, and I don't, I don't, I'm so far away from the hounds and they're actually hunting. I usually don't see what they're doing, but if it at least scares the hogs off the property, that's good. Yeah. You're kind of, it's kind of actually almost a hard job. You have to have a well-trained horse to be a whip because you guys are out in left field. Your horse is away from the other horses and that's not where horses normally want to be. No. Yes. That's, I mean, and, and I'm actually, I, um, you know, I could be on this show about once a year for my new animals because I got an off the track thoroughbred in January that I'm going to use as my whip horse, but he's only three. So I'm riding a friend's quarter horse. And I've found that the quarter horses are actually pretty good for us to whip on in Texas because it's a lot like working cattle because you're, you know, you're going to have to run really fast and turn them off with something and head them back in the direction they're supposed to go. That's amazing. So That's I like amazing. my little quarter horses. Well, congratulations so yeah, on your new congrats. pony. Thanks. I'm excited. Hopefully we'll be posting pictures of driving in within the year. 
Yay! You and Jamie can have cart races. Practice, yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you can have cart races, the two of you. I, can I don't see know. It. I don't know. My I jumped my pony for the first time yesterday, so she might that. be heading that direction. You know, know. It, I think it, I want. It really is not a good idea to jump with the cart. You know that, right? She's going to head yeah. right for it. <laughs> well, Jamie, when you move to Oklahoma, you have to come down and hunt with us. Oh my God, I'm taking you up on that. Done. We're pretty fun. It's we're more focused on the fun than we are on being serious. Okay. Well, I mean, you're hunting a hog. Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, awesome. technically coyote. It's really coyote. Okay. Gotcha. Well, you know, gotcha. Uh, hogs are a terrible problem. Here in Florida, it's open season. You can hunt hogs 24 hours a day all year. There's no season. I think that's true most places with the feral hogs because they're such bad at destroy. They're just, they destroy everything. And they multiply like rabbits. I mean, it's just... Whew. There's yes. millions of them. Yep. Yes. <laughs> well, Tara, thank yeah. you for joining us today, and thank you for being an auditor. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Y'all have a good day. All right. Thanks, Tara. Thanks, Tara. Talk Congratulations. To you soon. Hunt, hunt with you soon. <laughs> and you can find a picture. Go to horsesinthemorning.com. On Monday's show, we talked about this pony, and Jennifer used it as the show notes picture, so you can find a picture of this cute pony there. Well, we are. it is time to continue talking about Radiothon. We still need to get your entries in. Only like eight days left to get your entries in. And I think the p- thing I've been hearing from people and why people are late getting their entries in, Jamie, is nobody's in the Christmas spirit yet. I think it's, you know, it's cold up in some places and it's warm, but it seems like this year nobody's getting into the spirit, even though Walmart and Lowe's had their Christmas stuff out in like August. Um, yeah. yeah, nobody's in the spirit yet. So I thought I would give some, everybody some inspiration and play one of the voicemail packages from last year. It was the one that played in our first hour to kind of get people motivated, thinking about the different things they can do. I'm going to play one of the packages. And oh, by you the know way, what you should do is read off all the prizes. Well, we're going to do that. We're confirming all the prizes right now. So I can't do that quite yet. But I will tell you that it looks like the grand prizes are going to total over $1,500 again this year. And we're looking at over $4,000 in prizes total. I swear if Jerry Johnson wins again, I'm quitting. (laughs) I haven't heard from Jerry lately. I don't know what's up with Jerry. But here's a a little bit uh, of last year's opening voicemail package to give you inspiration. And then we'll be back. We have uh, more guests to come, and we have to read the book. We have a lot to do yet today. You have reached the Horse Radio Network voicemail line. Please leave your voicemail after the tone. (laughs) It's Delia from Horselovers.com, and my fantasy ride is Secretariat. Please enjoy these voicemails brought to you by Horselovers.com. Radiothon 2016 Just want you to know that I am listening All the way from Hawaii In paradise you'll find me My favorite show is Horses in the Morning Glenn the Geek and Jamie Jennings make me laugh in the mornings they asked me to say my fantasy ride today Latigo Dunna aka Hollywood from LA Aloha this is Laura Berry from Hawaii wishing you a happy horse radio network holiday radiothon Mele Kalikimaka 
Hi, Gwen and Wendy and the whole Hit'em crew. Thanks again for putting on another Radiothon. I have no doubt that this year is going to be just as great or even better than last year's. But if I could have a choice to ride one horse, even though we've had some great contenders with American Pharaoh and Allegro and Chrome, I honestly think my fantasy ride would have to be Zeus the Mustang. Um, I just love how he has this crazy antics and there's always a story about him. And I love a horse with heart. So that's my fantasy ride for this year. And hopefully maybe Jamie, I get that chance to ride him. But anyway, happy holidays, Hit'em crew, and thanks for all that you do. From Joy and the Arabian Mares. Hi, Horse Radio Network. I really enjoyed being able to listen this year and follow along with all your exciting adventures. And I thought today, in honor of Radiothon, I would write you guys a poem just explaining um, the things that I really enjoy about the Horse Radio Network and the reasons that I listen. So, here goes. The Horse Radio Network, it's a place we all love as we clean out our barn stalls or have feed bags to shove. When we plug in those headphones, the time passes fast. With Glenn, Jen, and Jamie, each chore seems a blast. Though each episode's fun, what's amazing to me is each time I hit listen, I'm learning, you see. From makeup to mustangs, or sheath cleaning too, from beet pulp to bridles, so much learning I do. The guests are amazing from all walks of life. Some English, some Western, but rarely there's strife. This place brings us together. It breaks down the walls. It reaches the horse world. It touches us all. So why don't you listen? That's my question for you. There's 5,000 options, so pick one or two. And join us, the family of HRN land. Time spent here is exciting, and the ride has been grand. I hope you guys have a great day. Hey, Glenn, and the whole Horses in the Morning herd, um, at everyone there at the Horse Radio Network and everyone listening. First, I just wanted to wish you guys all a very, very, very Merry Christmas and the happiest of happy yee holidays from me and Sam and Jane and Bo and our puppy dog, Bear, and all of our kitty cats. The horse from the past who I would be so honored not to ride um, because she's already done enough. I would just want to be able to spend some time with the amazing rock star mayor, Sergeant Reckless, the amazing Marine who gave so much to so many. And I feel very honored to somehow feel like I do know her a little bit already because of knowing the amazing rock star cowgirl, Robin Hutton, who wrote a beautiful book about Sergeant Reckless and who has made it her mission to make sure that Reckless is honored all over the world. Um, as some of y'all may already know, I am named after an amazing Marine named Don Templeton, and my dad is a Marine as well. And so I just also want to take this opportunity to thank all the veterans out there who are currently serving and who have served to thank you so much. And this means two and four-legged. So God bless all of y'all for your service. Have a wonderful, wonderful, happy holiday season. Love y'all. Dream big. Work hard. Have faith. Bye. Story night. The barn is brightly shining. It is the night that our dear pink gives birth. Laid out in straw as Jamie stands and watches till it appeared a healthy, strong foe 
He tries to stand and Jamie cries with joy. <laughs> Chestnut and crow. Except for there's no Just chrome. Like <laughs> Didn't know that yet. I forgot about this one. I did too. God, you need to save this. Rolex is our future. <laughs> Rolex. Land Rover. Longines. Longines. No, it's Land Rover. Land Rover. Yeah. Yeah. Land Rover. is where we're bound. Merry Christmas from Woodbrook Stables in Lakewood, Washington, everybody. Good job. <laughs> That's so good. com. 50 Days of Christmas is in. All right. I'll, I'll stop it there because uh, they had a promotion last year for all uh, Horse Lovers did for everybody that submitted and all of our listeners. And they have a promotion coming up this year. And I'm going to give you a sneak peek. They're, they have a easy roll-up all-purpose fleece blanket from Kodiak for all purchases over $49 at Horse Lovers. This is a $25 blanket, and they're going to give one. There's a limited time offer. I cannot, I'm not going to give you the code yet because it's going to start here in a week or two, but I'm just giving you a preview of what's coming up with Horse Lovers for our listeners. And also, if you spend at least $49 with Horse Lovers and use the coupon code that I'm going to give you in a couple of weeks, you're going to get $5 off your order instantly. So you're going to get like $30 worth of stuff immediately just for listening to our show and for listening to Radiothon. So Horse Lovers is pulling out all the stops again this year to make sure that uh, our listeners get extra special treatment. And we're so excited about that. And thank you to Horse Lovers for sponsoring the voicemail packages again this year. This just, every time, you know, it's sad that we play these once. And then we don't hear them again. And that's why I kind of want to do this over the next uh, eight, nine days is to give you guys inspiration. They are so good and people work so hard on them. I think that I'm going to save that one about the foal being born and it's a cult and make that my ringtone and like make that neck for next year. Yeah, yeah we could use it again. again. Matter of fact, we could play it again next year. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll play it again next year because, like, oh my gosh, it's a cult. She's right. It was and now, yeah. <laughs> I had forgot Chestnut that was in there when I started black, hearing yeah. that. I went, oh my god, I forgot about this one. It was so good. Yeah. Isn't? Do you want to hear some uh, some babies are a drama before we get to our guest? Yeah, sure. This this little thing. My vet actually said, I think. <laughs> This is my veterinarian, okay? Because I have called her in an emergency Monday night. It is six o'clock. And I'm like, Dr. Hendricks, you have to get out here right now. Zara, she's dying. She's dying. I I thought I was going to put my baby down. Uh, you, you laugh? Yeah, because we've heard this a hundred times. I thought she was going to die. So I get I get a call from the owners of the farm because she's five doors down. And they're like, there's something wrong with, with Zara. I'm like, she starts telling me. I'm like, I'm on my way. So I get in the car and I drive over, speed over, five houses down. Boop, I'm here before, before she even hangs up the phone. And I'm out there. And Zara is flinging herself on the ground. Oh, well, that's not good. Throwing herself against the wall, 
laying down. She it casts herself right in front of me. Fortunately, she's small enough. I just grabbed her legs and flipped her over, uncast her, get her up, and I'm calling the vet, and she lays down and casts herself again, flick, flipping out in the stall. So Dr. Hendricks is like, okay, I'm on my way. Get a halter on her, see if you can walk around. I get a halter on her. She is like barely able to walk in so much pain. I don't know what happened. I call Dr. Hendricks. I take her out. I'm walking her in the pasture. She like does this weird like rear up, come down, like striking while I'm leading her. I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? She's I'm trying to keep her from going down. She rears up, she lands, she walks off. Vet shows up. That bitch is totally fine all of a sudden. <laughs> totally fine. No my tummy ache, no nothing. <laughs> She's like, I think we made you a lemon. (laughs) (laughs) My vet says my Philly is a lemon. If it's a car, you could have sent it back by now. (laughs) I don't know what happened. I don't. So she's like, it's. She goes, it's very, very rare that a foal or a weanling would colic. She said the only thing she can, th- you know, we're we're doing a fecal test to test for parasites. All that she goes, but usually horses that co- weanlings that f- that colic from worms have never been dewormed, and Zara's always been on a regular deworming program, so that can't be it. She's like she hasn't colicked. She she goes, it's very rare that babies colic, and the fact that she was demonstrating this pain, she's like she. The only thing I can think of is she had a little gas. I'm like, we <laughs> had a temper her. tantrum, right? I mean, you know, your son has had gone through the same thing, right? And had a temper tantrum about it. Isn't yeah. that funny? Yeah. Wow. It's, it, it was, it was not funny until she gets there and my bill was probably several hundred dollars <laughs> and she's, she gives her a little banamine and she gives her a little buscapan, which is like for anti-spasmodic in the, in the gut. Um, and that was it. And she's like, I can't. And she does a test to see if she has salmonella or any major bacterial something. And she's no. She's fine. And then I get up. She's like, we'll see if she wants to eat. Yep. Wants to eat. Starving to death. Oh, my God. They're pooping okay. Everything coming out. Pooping. Totally fine. A little loose, but like, no, there was just nothing. And so I I said, I got yourself a little drama queen is what you got. Right. (laughs) We have video of her doing this, by the way, because my the lady owning the farm, she's like, I have to. I'm going to video this while you're dealing with it. Well, I'm calling the vet. So so the vet did see the video. It did happen. It was very real and it was very scary. And that little heifer is totally fine. Thank God. Cause I was like, I mean, at this point she's flinging herself. It is that, that is the scariest thing a horse owner can do and see my, my friend Rhonda, she was riding. I'm like, get over here. I need your help. Cause she's cast. She comes over and she's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Like total panic. The, and I'm thinking, she's about i'm gonna have to put her down and she's not even a year old you're just terrible and then boom totally fine which is awesome but still pissed me off why (laughs) did you do that what was wrong with you i don't know if anybody has ever had this happen to them i wasn't even going to tell you guys about it because it just seems so ridiculous but i you know here we go is y'all are my therapy (laughs) i just looked up lemon laws for foals and it's the first thing it says is you're screwed so uh, yeah yeah yeah. i've got I, i i and of course she she's like i 
I think it's a lemon. I was like, listen here, doctor. I told you I wanted a black colt and you bring me a chestnut filly with just a star. Doesn't even have some white legs. Come on. It's your fault. <laughs> All right, everybody. Right, and then, of course, Pink is lame still. She's like, you just need to breed that horse. Like, you just need to leave her alone and breed her. I'm like, I'm trying. <laughs> Before we get to Caroline from Heels Down Magazine and Heels Down Happy Hour, Jemmy's on here, so I wanted to take this opportunity to say we're very excited. We're getting a lot of traction with our new podcast called Finding Florida, the Finding Florida podcast at findingfloridapodcast.com. So definitely go check that out, Jemmy. We're getting a lot of good reaction. And actually, I'm leaving after the show today to come down, and we're going to do round two. Yeah, we're excited. Any reason to hang out with each other. And you're like, let's make it legit. That's right. That's what it is. I need out of the house. Jennifer wants rid of me. (laughs) And trust me, if you knew more about my situation, Jamie, you wouldn't blame me for wanting to get out of the house either. (laughs) I know all about it. That's what I'm saying. That's right. I mean, you're sure do. It's so bad at home that you're like, I want to hang out with that guy. Yeah, with me. Like him? (laughs) It must be bad. It must be bad. The good thing is we're getting such good, solid feedback on this show. Like, I'm just so flattered. And people seem to really be into, like, helping us out with finding new ideas. Yeah, we're going to check out some animal experiences along Route 1 this weekend. And then coming up uh, next month, we're going to be looking at Daytona. So we're, we're just, we're all over the place, Jamie. We're having a great time and people seem to really be into helping us along with this new show. Okay. Again, the animals on route one, make sure you specify not roadkill. I am from Atlanta and where everybody went for spring break was Daytona. And I'll tell you the two things that you have to do in Daytona. And one is get an airbrush t-shirt. And number two is get a tattoo. Those are the two things to do in Daytona. I, 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 okay, I'm, I, I call dibs on the on the t-shirt, Glenn. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Jamie knows I am not getting a tattoo. That's not With happening. With those big yard tall uh, drinks that they sell there, you have to walk around <laughs> the, the little like strip yes. there in, in your airbrush t-shirts with your new tattoos, drinking giant frozen drinks. Okay, <laughs> that is what people do in Daytona. Glenn, I'll go on a roller coaster if you get a tattoo. Uh, that no, fair, no, right? no, no, it's not happening. Oh, they do have that roller coaster. Jennifer would yeah. uh, divorce me. I wouldn't be allowed home, and then I then okay. I'd be just homeless in Daytona. So, no. <laughs> what if you got a tattoo that said "I love Jen"? <laughs> she can't divorce you. True. I mean, how do you argue with that, right? Or I right? went to Daytona. All I got was this lousy tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, at least we do me a favor and take a picture of somebody in a airbrush tank top drinking a drink, sporting a tattoo. Okay, it it. We'll, photos- we'll Photoshop your face on their face. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's. Uh, that's findingfloridapodcast.com and it's Finding Florida on all of the podcast players. You'll find it there. And I also forgot to that's mention cool if you idea. want to get to your Radiothon entry, go to holidayradiothon.com. You have like eight more days to get a voicemail in or record it on your phone and send it to us. All the directions are at holidayradiothon.com. And after that conversation, Caroline from Heels Down is really sorry she joined us. Good morning. I'm like not quite sure how to transition into this conversation (laughs) (laughs) after all the tattoo talk, but I do think that if when Caroline, you're, you sound really far away this time. You're usually sounding Uh really good. I think your mic is not, uh, okay. Give me one second. All right. We're not connecting on your mic. So we'll we'll try and get that fixed as she's clunking away over there. 
think I think it sounds better already. How is it? Yep. Is this, is this better? Oh, much better. Oh, now we can are. hear you. Now you're good. Sorry about that. That's yeah. strange. I just had to unplug it and plug it back in. So I guess it was just not quite wanting I, to cooperate. That is I the did. way it works in our life. So. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> That's live radio. So you're going to join us and get a tattoo? Maybe you can be the one to get the tattoo. No, you know what I was going to say is I think that if you get a tattoo, we should all have some input on what it is. Maybe we all have like a little corner of, of your tattoo that we all get to pick what it is. Oh, I think or he idea. just gets a nice big blazing, sorry to jump in, nice big blazing um, character from My Little Pony. That would be uh, perfect. God, yeah, yeah. I think good. that's amazing. <laughs> I, yes. I mean, Absolutely. but then it's like, do we get Twilight Sparkle or do we get Pinkie Pie? <laughs> I mean, the decisions are endless. The debate would last forever. <laughs> okay, Caroline, let's start talking about what you want to You're talk like, about let's today. <laughs> let's get off let's of this topic. This <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, well, um, our, so I haven't been on since the November issue of Heels Down Magazine came out, and we have so many amazing articles. This, I, I feel like I say this every time, but... I just every every month that we come out with new articles and we have such amazing journalists working on this magazine. It's it's like every episode or every um, issue is the best issue yet. So if you haven't checked out the November issue yet, Adrienne Lyle is our cover girl. She looks incredible. She was so much fun to chat with and interview. Um, we've also posted some videos of her on our um, Heels Down Magazine Facebook page. We caught up with her um, in Aachen. She's just such a great girl, and she has an amazing story. Um, and Nancy Jaffer wrote that story for us, so everyone should go check that out. Um, and then my, I wrote a couple stories for the, the issue, but one of the ones that <laughs> I thought would really appeal to Jamie and her uh, long-lasting paranoia was <laughs> an article about trailering your horse or having somebody else trailer your horse, rather. Um, so... My horse, this this all kind of started when my horse, uh, as oh, we God. discussed before, had uh, was diagnosed with Lyme disease and was, you know, undergoing treatment and everything. She was finally cleared by the vet to go back to work. Um, so she had been at a rehab facility in North Carolina and I had moved to New Jersey. So uh, usually I would just trailer them myself, um, but that just wasn't an option this time. And so... It was the first time that I'd ever had to find somebody else to haul my horse. Mm. It was really scary. It was way scarier than I thought it was going to be. Even with all of the very, you know, reputable commercial shippers out there, the thing was that I didn't have a ton of money to spend. Um, but you don't want to, you know, pay bottom dollar and have somebody. I mean, there's so many horror stories out there about. Well, I can give you some. Oh, my God. Do you want some? I mean, it's nuts, right? Like, it's really scary. Like, how are you supposed to be able to trust anyone after hearing some of those? Like, horses, like, left on the side of the highway? Like, there's all sorts of crazy... I don't know. Yeah. Crazy yeah, no, stories. It's super scary. That's it's it's why nowadays when anybody asks me, I'm like Equine Express, Bob Hubbard, like just all of those giant companies are now Sally, like any of those, I say use them because I'm so and I'm sorry, small business owners, but I've been screwed one too many times by some of you. So um it just yeah, it's terrifying. It is so terrifying. what did you do? So actually, Equine Express was one of the um, companies that I interviewed for this article. 
like talk about like professionalism. They're just everyone that I spoke to there was absolutely incredible and amazing. They're based out of pilot point, um, Texas. They're not actually even who I ended up using. Um, I interviewed them after I shipped my horse, but they're incredible. Um, I spoke to Mike there and talked to him about, uh, you know, what's required of commercial shippers. And, you know, we all kind of think that if you have, you know, a friend haul your horse and you pay them a few hundred bucks for gas, whatever, that it's, you know, no big deal. But the point that he was making is that anyone that's getting paid to haul a horse that's not theirs, they're technically a commercial shipper. It's There's no real gray area. And so, um, you know, when you go with, you know, a proper um, company that's doing commercial shipping on like a larger scale, like Equine Express and some of these larger commercial um, shippers are, there are so many requirements that they have to meet. They can be stopped at any point and those horses can be checked for health. They, all their documentation can be checked. They, their trailer safety has to be checked regularly. They service their, their um, vehicles and their trailers once a week. That's crazy to me. Oh, what do just, you mean? You don't do that with your own trailer? I'm like, literally one of the <laughs> doors on my trailer has one hinge right now. <laughs> like, so it's just, you know, they their safety standards are so incredibly high. And they have the to be. Because, yeah, and ours are not. Let's just say it. Ours are not. I feel really bad for my horse. Like she, you know, I had her commercially shipped and she like stepped off this like very big snazzy trailer that has like the ramp and they roll the, you know, the like carpeting thing down. It's like they roll out the red carpet for them when they walk off the trailer. And she, you know, she's like steps off like she's some like some sort of famous racehorse. And then two days later, I'm getting ready to take her for a lesson. And she does not want to walk on my trailer. She's like, um, I'm not <laughs> sure if you realize this, but I don't ride on these. anymore. <laughs> like my little tiny two horse trailer. She's like, no, no, thank you. Um, so everyone should check out that that there's a lot of detail in that article. Um, if you are somebody that is thinking about having your horse commercially shipped um, and you're not quite sure where to begin. Uh, it's, you know, I tried to make it as thorough of a resource as possible um, because there's a lot of different services coming out, um, you know, that are kind of alternative ways to ship your horse. So um, there's that company. It's supposed to be kind of like the Uber for horses. Um, yeah, we we had e- them on recently. Oh. Actually, I forget. What, yeah, e- so Equo. Yeah, so yeah. that's a that's a newer service, and I did kind of you know look into that one as well. We um, used, and their app is super easy to use. We used Sally cool. when we did our when we moved our mm-hmm. horses down here from Kentucky, and they were terrific too. I mean, they were great. Uh, we we didn't have any. Yeah, trouble. I've heard good things about them, and that's yeah. that's one of the biggest things that I got out of doing the research for this article is that just word of mouth, you know, kind of reviews from other people that have used those companies, that's one of the best ways to ensure that your horse now, is Now, the one you don't want to use is the one in North Carolina that our friend used when they moved their horse from Pennsylvania to North Carolina, and they showed up, and the police had stopped them because they had all these <gasps> violations in town. And then she still sent the horse with her down to North Carolina, and we found out a week later that they had been busted for transporting drugs in the floorboards of the trailers up and down the East Coast. Millions of dollars worth of drugs in the floorboards. My jaw is like on the right now. (laughs) That is bananas. So all the horses got their little high, you know, a little buzz. (laughs) Oh, my God. 
like, my horse has never been this calm. Oh yeah, but or 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 they snort a little cocaine and the horse was bouncing off the walls and couldn't figure out why. But <gasps> oh, that is terrifying. <laughs> Do your research and things like the Better Business Bureau and even Yelp reviews or Trust Pilots, anything like that that are you know uncensored um, reviews or evaluations of companies. Take those into consideration. Um, you know, it, it's worth paying. It is so worth paying more. And like those people have insurance on their vehicles and everything, which, you know, God forbid there's some sort of accident. Like you don't want to be backed up against a wall legally either. Um, and yeah, no, I, I don't think it's ideal to have your horse shipped with drugs. Probably <laughs> yeah. Try to yeah. And, and, I mean, I've just heard a lot, not about the drugs, but the DOT certification is something that you should look for when you're ha- hiring somebody to ship your horse, correct? Is that what you were talking about? Yes. And, you know, a good thing to ask um, any companies, too, are the company's requirements. So not just DOT requirements, but the company's requirements for drivers. Um, Equine Express, they have you know, they have to have a certain number of years of experience driving. And then they also have to have horse experience on top of that. So you're not getting, you know, people that have only ever hauled sofas hauling your horse. You have proper, he was saying that, you know, a lot of their drivers are like former trainers or vet techs or um, even like farriers. So it's, those are people that are, if they see a horse in distress, they're going to be able to recognize those signs. And that's really, really important because, you know, the medical safety of horses in, you know, in transit is so paramount because horse, of course, you know, horses can get dehydrated, they can get stressed, they can get overheated, shipping you know, any fever, shipping like fever, that. they, you know, you need to have somebody that understands that the horses need to be able to clear their lungs and put their heads down and cough every few hours. So, um, and then, you know, it's it's another thing of just equipment. If you're hauling your horse, you know, three hours down, you know, down the highway, it's that's one thing. I think you can get away with, um, you know, a little bit of a smaller um, trailer. But if you're hauling your horse across the country, um, you know, or a really, really long way, tra- those big tractor trailers, especially the ones with air ride suspension, uh, he was saying that you can put a a bucket three quarter three quarters full of water in the back of the those trailers and they won't spill even if they like slam on the brakes like it's just such a smooth ride for the horses so you sort of have to think too you know it's it's worth the money to have your horse be a little bit more comfortable because that's going to reduce their level of stress. Well, you know, you know I, just hauls. to say with Equine Express, I did have a company out of Tonopah, Arizona, which I didn't know they were out of Tonopah. I thought they were Colorado and they shipped Duke down and he almost died and it was supposed to be 12 hours. They had him in the trailer for 36. He came over shipping fever. It was horrible. <gasps> then um, I went and that's supposed to be 12 hours. That's Colorado wow. to Arizona. And then I had Equine Express ship my horse when I moved to Arizona from Atlanta to Phoenix. And my horse got out of the trailer better than when he got in. I mean, they're, right. and they take their time. And they, those big companies have those places that they always stop. And they know where they're going to stop. And they unload the horses. He, I paid for the, because I was kind of broke, but still using a good company. I paid for them to use the, uh, you know, the cross ties. And yep. he was, he got, he, they got there and he was in the box stall and he was like, the driver was like, meh, Aww. we had 
lots of extra room in the box stall. So I put him in the box stall. Like what? That's, That's amazing. Awesome. Up to his chest and straw, you know, just, I, I will never use a small company ever again. And I'm sorry, Duke. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, they, they have to meet driver physicals, you know, once a year that are mandated by uh, the DOT. There's drug testing for those drivers, you know, both upon hire and randomly throughout the year. They, you know, they have to have a CDL license. Caroline, those- you know, you are, you're what? an investigative journalist. She is. She is. She's, <laughs> she wears a little hat. You know, I a do. Big, I sneak in. Big magnifying glass. glass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's, yeah, there, it's definitely worth doing your research. Um, and I'm kind of with you, Jamie. Like I, after doing, you know, all of this research and sort of hearing people's horror stories, you know, per- people's personal horror stories that they would tell me it's kind of not worth the risk. I will put it this way. If you spend $500 extra dollars shipping your horse with a reputable shipping company, that that's cheaper than a vet bill when your horse colics. So, yep. Yep. I yep. would opt for that. So anyway, that well, was Carolyn, where can really people see the article? Write. Where can they find it? That is in the November issue of heels down magazine. And you can download heels down magazine, uh, on Google play or iTunes. And it comes out once a month. It's on your phone or your tablet. So you can take it anywhere once it's downloaded on your phone. You know, there's audio and video and and interactive features, but you have access to them even without Wi-Fi once it's on your phone. And then you guys can also find us at heelsdownmag.com. And we're, of course, all over social media. And we just recorded another episode of Heels Down Happy Hour last night. So check that out. That'll be out on... Friday. And Heels Down Happy Hours getting rave reviews from the auditors. So good job. Good job there. You guys do a good job with it. And there there is there's no alcohol consumed in the making of that show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious. (laughs) You both laugh at the same time. (laughs) Let's just say that we recorded last night and my I had to brew my coffee a little stronger this morning than I usually do. (laughs) So thanks, Caroline. (laughs) Thanks. Talk to you later. All right, bye. Really is a good show. If you haven't checked it out yet, you really should check it out. They do a good job. She's so fun. It is. And it's completely different than any other show we do. So that that really makes it a lot of fun, too. Well, we talked about a lot of new podcasts. We talked about getting your entries in at HolidayRadiothon.com to win over $4,000 in prizes. We talked about the book, a fascinating new book. We've had a fun show. Absolutely. But we're not done because we have Chapter 11 of the Opium Equation coming up. Part two. Part two. First, I wanted to mention, join us tomorrow morning. We'll be back here at 9 a.m. Eastern. I will be live from WEF, from down in Wellington, where the show jumpers hang out with Emily. We're going to do the show together. So we'll be down there together tomorrow morning. That'll be a lot of fun. And then then we'll be heading out for our adventures for Finding Florida to check out all the unique animals in Florida. Jamie, we learned that there's a lot in redoing research for this book. There's a lot of unique animals in Florida, and most of them will kill you. So that's what we've learned about <laughs> the animals in Florida. They're out to kill you. So, uh, so, and then Friday, you're going to be back here with Lisa Wysocki on Friday doing some really bad ads. So get your ads into Jennifer at HorseRadioNetwork.com. We have some hey, terrific prizes are you gonna for go you. To, um, are you going to go to... The alligator farm in St. Augustine and see the white alligator? No, that's the way far away from... We're going to be in South Florida, St. Augustine. Oh, all the way fine. It doesn't count, then. <laughs> we will be in St. Augustine sometime because it is a cool city. 
It was a really cool city. Yeah. All right. This is the Opium Equation. This is, if everybody remembers, this is part two of chapter 11 because it was such a big chapter. And Jamie's going to get to it in a minute. The Opium Equation is the first of the Cat and Wright mystery series written by Lisa Waisaki. It features Cat and Wright, a Tennessee Appaloosa horse trainer, Darcy Whitcomb, teenager with a trust fund. Bubba Henley, a budding juvenile delinquent, and John Gardner, a mysterious barn manager. And of course, there's Sally Blue. Thank you to the publisher Cool Titles for allowing us to read this book. If you want to read ahead, all four books in the series are available in stores and online everywhere or at lisawaisaki.com. Without giving the names of the other students, although I was sure the press would come up with them somehow, I said the class was a routine prep for students who were considering show ring competition this summer. Chuck Dauphin, a print and radio journalist from Dixon, Tennessee, had interviewed me before. Now he asked if any member of the class might harbor a grudge against Glenda, and also if any class member was unusual in any way. I laughed, which seemed to me like a deranged thing to do, but this whole scene was deranged, so I forgave myself. This wasn't exactly what I had planned to do when I got up this morning. I forced my mind back to Chuck's question. How should I answer it? Each of the class members in their own way was unusual and each held a grudge against Glenda, but that didn't necessarily mean any of them had killed her. Glenda by far had been the most unusual of the bunch. As for the grudges, I debated on telling them about the blow up Glenda instigated and decided to let the press do its own dirty work. As far as I knew, Buffy, the times reporter was the only one who had talked with Glenda recently. And if she was smart, she'd hold that bit of information and break it herself. Although, come to think of it, Buffy and I might not be that savvy. Some of those wealthy Bell Mead people she was related to didn't have both oars in the water, and I had no reason to believe Buffy was an exception. Probably all that blue blood floating around in her veins couldn't be healthy. I didn't think that there was any member of the riding class who liked Glinda, but again, there was not an indication of one of them had committed murder. Thinking back, Glenda threatened me when she promised to tell others in the horse community that she had left my stable because I was incompetent. Darcy had threatened to kill Glenda for the nasty public way Glenda informed me of her decision, but that was the way Darcy always talked. Robert made it a point to tell me he didn't want Glenda back under any circumstances, but other than his love of horses, what did I really know about him? And then there was John. John was a loose cannon. Would he take revenge against someone who threatened me or my livelihood and by virtue of that indirectly threatened him and his livelihood? I didn't know. Of them all, I thought Carol was the only benign one in the group, but appearances can be deceiving. I decided not to pass any of this along to the reporters. Instead, I called a, clo I called a close to the impromptu press conference. When the reporters realized I was serious, they quit clamoring and rushed off in search of the other leads. No longer the center of attention, I turned from my damp place on the steps to find Deputy Giles and Sheriff Burns comparing notes in a much drier entrance hall. The sheriff was clearly instructing the deputy in a task he wanted no part of. The laid-back deputy stood rigidly with his chin up and his arms held stiffly at his sides. His pudgy face had turned to stone and you could almost see sparks fly from his eyes. But he didn't say a word. After a moment, he nodded to, at his superior and disappeared to, into the back of the house. What, I wondered, had all that been about? Sheriff Burns saw me peering in and came over. I believe you're free to go about your day, Miss Enright. I looked at him in amazement, for it never occurred to me that I had not been free to go about my day. 
We'll be in touch, of course, he said. But I'd appreciate it if you'd keep us informed by your whereabouts. My whereabouts? I didn't know whether to be furious or frightened. Gee, let's see. I'll pick furious. It's more productive. I let him have it. Sheriff, I'm going to get the damnedest impression that you're treating me as a suspect. And if that's the case, you let me know right now because I didn't kill Glenda Dupree and I have no idea who did. So listen up and remember this. I just happened to stumble across her body, period. Sheriff Bim Jim glowered. Enough information has not been amassed to comment on who or who may not be a suspect in this case, Miss Enright. But still, we'd like to know where you are. Before I could reply, a reporter caught his eye and he marched over to give a statement. What was he talking about, Cat? asked Adam as he came out of the house. From the movement of the people who came regularly to these things, I got the impression that they were ready to move the body. Ambulance doors were opened and uniformed people scurried about in all directions. We walked down the steps away from the activity and propped ourselves against his cold, wet car. Just off the top of my head, I said, carefully controlled voice, I'd say he's talking about the coming election. I took a deep breath and slowly released it. I think he wants to make a quick wrap to this case and use it in his campaign. I only hope he finds the right person to arrest. Don't worry, Adam said. You didn't do it. And hey, whoever did is probably miles from here now. Why do you think that? It's just an idea. I'm not sure. He massaged his temples as we leaned against the side of the car. Remember that murder in Dixon just after Christmas? Then there was the one in Springfield a few weeks ago, and now this. I'd heard of the Society Lady Murders, of course. It had been hard not to, as every news station in town had carried some angle of the murders as a lead story for days. In each case, a wealthy, middle-aged, or elderly woman had been found clubbed to death in her home, bashed several times in the head, just as it looked Glenda had been. Nothing had been taken, homes had not been trashed, no notes had been left, and no cult or group had claimed responsibility for the crimes. The police had not released much on the alleged murder. I could only suspect they had little to go on. My best guess, Adam continued, is that there's some weirdo striking at random. With nothing stolen, nothing disturbed? Linda was wearing diamond earrings and a Rolex. The other women were also well-to-do and were wearing expensive jewelry. Okay, maybe not in the same category as Aunt Glenda, but something all the same. Adam, I agree that whomever the society lady murder is, he or she is after the thrill of the kill. Or maybe it's some wacko who's afraid of these women for some reason. But I'm not so sure this murder ties in with the others. Well, that's for our esteemed sheriff to find out, isn't it? And speaking of the gentleman, if I may call him that, it looks like he's headed our way. Since he's already spoken to you, I can only assume I am in his intended target. And with that, Adam went to join Sheriff Burns. I felt lost. Obviously, I was supposed to go on with my day. Just pick up where I'd left off and go about my business. But I couldn't do that. My mind was spinning, and I knew if I set foot in my barn, I'd transmit my extreme unease to every horse in the stable. Horses are sensitive to moods of the people around them. A single session with a trusted person who was upset could undo weeks of careful work and could also possibly cause digestive problems and the more delicately stomached equines. Gigi and Sally both came to mind. Suddenly, I wanted to get as far from Fairbanks as possible. I pulled the blanket tighter around me and ran back across the field down towards the river. Let them add blanket theft to the murder charge. I already knew Sheriff Big Jim wanted to hang on me. I didn't care. Water had always soothed me. My property sat high above the Cumberland, and there was a steep, narrow path that led down about 10 feet to a huge maple tree that hung diagonally over the river. I could sit on the base of the trunk, totally hidden from view, and watch the river and think. It was a place I'd come to many times before. 
Today, the rhythmic quality of the river was broken here and there only by the occasional barge of the adventurous fishing boat from the marina up the road. The cold and dampness that surrounded me were the least of my worries as I tried to order the chaotic mess in my mind. First Bubba, and now Glenda. Not friends, certainly not friends, but daily acquaintances, neighbors. I didn't even know how to deal with it, how to absorb it all, and move on, or even if I could. I wasn't used to people being murdered practically in my own backyard. I came from a small town where everyone knew each other, and while we didn't always like our neighbors, no one ever got killed. Bucksnort, Tennessee, population 18, got its name back in the 1880s from a man named Buck Pamplin. Before the Civil War, Buck owned and lived on that site that later became the town. The story is that Buck loved whiskey. He would frequently get soused, and when he didn't, he'd snort louder than a sow in heat. His neighbors would shake their heads and say, listen to Buck snort. After a while, people began running these two words together, and the place where Buck lived became Buck snort. When I left home after graduating from high school, it was to pursue my dream of studying horses at Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro and not to become a part of a murder investigation. I'd graduated from MTSU seven years ago, about the same time my grandma died. It surprised everyone, including me, when her estate brought me enough to buy the farm and start a training stable. Grandma always was frugal one, but who knew she had saved more than 80 grand and stashed it under her mattress. When I hung out my shingle, there were those who said I needed to work for an established trainer for a few years before breaking out on my own, but I never did go much for what other people said. In the early years, there'd been a lot of hard times. The past three or four years, I'd done pretty well, having brought home several national and world championships and two of them just this past fall. I'd weathered many storms and enjoyed every minute of it until now. Now I was inches away from being accused of murder. If Hill thought a police investigation that looked into the disappearance of his son was going to damage his career, what would a murder investigation do to mine? Eventually, shivering with cold, I went back up to the house, choked down some hot soup, and got ready for bed abominably early. When I woke the next morning before dawn, I felt somewhat better, but not a lot. Bubba was still missing, Glenda was still dead, and both my doorbell and telephone were ringing. 